Hello everyone, I just wanted to preface this episode a bit before we dive in today. When I first began recording this, I was fending off a summer cold, courtesy of my son starting daycare, so I may sound a bit more nasally than normal. And because we decided having a baby wasn't a big enough life change, we also moved. Not too far, just about 40 miles away or so. However, I recorded the first part of this episode in our old house and the latter half in our new house. So, you might notice a change in the sound quality in different parts of the episode, especially if I had to go back and edit some of the earlier recording. My original recording spot was a large room and I made a makeshift recording area out of some pillows. But now I'm stashed away under some stairs, with some sheets hanging around to dampen the sound a little bit. I don't know what Harry Potter was really complaining about, it's quite spacious in here. Anyways, hopefully you notice better audio quality, and I want to thank you all for listening, and enjoy the episode. Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 8, Origin Myths, Part 2. Hello and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. As I just stated, this is a Part 2 of a two-part episode concerning the formative years of the Inca. If you missed Part 1, I highly encourage you to pause this episode and have a listen to Episode 7. And for those of you who may or may not have noticed, there are no story maps for these episodes. The story maps are very useful, and I do enjoy making them. However, they require more time than I can really afford right now. There is, though, a map of the four quarters that Ayar Kachi had created when he split up the world. I will be using the names of those four quarters more often from here on out, so please make sure you have a look at that map. There are also several other maps that show where the early Inca emperors went on campaign. All of these are posted on the website, ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com. Now then, just to give everyone a reminder of where we left off, Yawar Wakak, aka the Weeper of Blood, and the seventh emperor was betrayed by a group of captains from Kondasuyu. He tried to seek sanctuary in a nearby temple, but was brought out and was murdered. Instead of marching on towards Cusco, the men of Kandasuyu returned to their home villages. With another succession crisis staring them in the face, the elites of Cusco declared Yawar Wakak's son, Hatun Tupac Inca, emperor. Not long after his ascension to power, Hatun Tupac Inca decided to go on campaign. One thing that is important to mention is that prior leaders tended to raid their enemies and not fully subjugate them. Hatun Tupac Inca sought to change this as he worked to bring his allies and neighbors under direct control of his administration. Such neighbors consisted of the Colca, the entire Urumbamba Valley to the northeast, and the rest of the Cusco Valley. 
Hatun Tupac Inca sought to expand the borders of the Inca through military campaigns as well. Marching south into the Koyasuyu region, the Inca and his army subjugated the Kana peacefully. That's right, the same Kana who encountered Viracocha as the creator traveled through the Andes. Hatun Tupac Inca made offerings to the creator god at the temple first erected by the Kana and changed his name to Viracocha Inca, which we will refer to him from this point forward because Hatun Tupac Inca is quite a mouthful to say. Viracocha Inca ordered that the temple be renovated and be made more grand than before. Today, if you visit the town of Rakchi, you will see the remnants of this enormous temple dedicated to the Creator God. And as impressive as it is in ruins, I'm sure it would be more astonishing if one were to see it when it was whole. Pictures of what is left of the temple have been posted on the website. Even from what little remains of the temple, you can tell it was quite an impressive structure. Viracocha Inca sought to continue his campaign down in Koyasuyu, but the Koya, a large ethnic group in the area, formed a coalition and began to march against the Inca. Seeing that his army was outmatched, Viracocha Inca sent messengers to treat with the Koya. A truce was arranged between the two armies, and the Inca retreated back to Cusco. Viracocha Inca worked to consolidate his holdings in his later years, bringing Cusco's allies further under Inca rule. But then the Inca did something rare. Instead of waiting to die so his successor could don the fringe, he announced his retirement and named his son Inca Urco as his legitimate successor. With his time as ruler complete, Viracocha Inca left for his estate in the Urumbamba Valley. Inca Urco soon donned the fringe after completing the necessary fasts and performing the proper ceremonies. However, as soon as the proper rituals were over, so was the honeymoon. The young Inca was prone to drinking openly in public. Now when a ceremonial feast or ritual was taking place, drinking copious amounts of alcohol was expected. It wasn't a big deal. Yet it is said that he would drink in excess outside of such ceremonies while wandering the streets. He was also accused of sleeping with common women, and even the wives of the elites in the capital. Inca Urco didn't have any respect for the position he held in the society that he now ruled, and that is when an enemy came knocking at the door of Cusco. And who was that enemy that would come knocking? The Chanca. You remember the Chanca, right? They were that group I told you to keep in mind in the last episode, but I know I've been throwing a lot of information at you, so in case you don't remember, don't worry. The Chanca were the group of people who were from the Andahuelas area, close to where the Wari capital once stood. Inca Roca, Viracocha Inca's grandfather, had marched into the area and subdued the Chanca during his reign, much to the chagrin of the younger Chanca men wanted to fight the Inca rather than forfeit their independence. Well, since the murder of Yawarwakak, the Chanca seemed to have gained their independence back. This was likely due to the perceived weakness of the Inca, whose leader had just been assassinated, and Viracocha Inca working to bring his allies under the Inca thumb. 
Since then, the Chanka had assimilated many other groups and tribes under them and marched into the province of Quechua. There they met the local inhabitants and engaged them in a hard-fought battle. However, the Quechuas were defeated and brutally treated, with many of the women and children carried off with the spoils. With Viracocha Inca retired to the Urubamba Valley in Inca Urco, a royal mess, the Chanka could smell blood in the water. Aso Huaraca and Tome Huaraca were chosen as Sinchis and marched at the head of the Chanka out of Andahuelas. They were beaming with confidence as they had in their possession their Waka, Uscovilca, which had been with them in their raids in earlier wars. With the Chanka approaching, the elites in Cusco were in a panic. They had no faith in Inca Urco, who had fled Cusco and joined his father at the estate of Calca. The lords of the city instead approached Viracocha Inca and begged him to return to Cusco and lead the defense of the city. The old Inca called his advisors together and asked them what he should do. His advisors suggested that he stay where he was. He was old, and the position of Cusco could not be defended from the large army the Chanca were rumored to have. Thus, Viracocha Inca stayed with his son Inca Urco at his estate of Calca, well protected and safe in the Urumbamba Valley. After the rebuffs by not only the current ruler, but as well as the former, the city of Cusco began to be abandoned. Watching his people leave and ashamed by the cowardice of his father, Inca Yupanqui, a captain of the army, decided to stay behind to lead the defense of the city. His decision to stay behind would have profound implications for the future of not only the Inca, but of the entire Andes. So who was Inca Yupanqui? Unfortunately, we don't know much about the Inca's childhood. What we do know is that he was the third of four legitimate sons of Viracocha Inca. Inca Yupanqui participated in the army and was actually a captain for his father. We can assume that he remained a captain under his brother then, Inca Urco. After seeing that neither Inca Urco or Viracocha Inca intended to defend the city, the principal lords of the Inca approached the young Inca captain begging him to lead the defense of the city. Inca Yupanqui accepted the honors, though when news of this reached Viracocha Inca, he thought the young man was a fool and was destined to die, for the task of defending Cusco seemed impossible. How Inca Yupanqui planned to save the city was still a mystery, even to him. He had the support of several fellow captains, including Apu Maita, Vika Quiruis, and even his older brother, yet another Inca Roca. But even with his captains and their loyal men, they were few against many, and Inca Yupanqui knew this. The young captain left to go pray, alone, in the hopes of coming to some sort of answer as to how he would defeat the Chanka. As he prayed, the sun god, Inti, revealed himself to Inca Yupanqui in a fountain, Inti reassured the captain that he would be victorious, for an army would appear at the moment of battle and lead him to victory. Inti then took out a mirror and showed it to Inca Yupanqui. 
In it, the Inca saw all the lands that he would conquer and bring into his empire. Inti then gave Inca Yupanqui the mirror, which he kept in his possession the rest of his days. Despite the favorable outcome the sun god portrayed, there were still no reinforcements that were known to be marching to relieve them. The many allies and vassals that Viracocha Inca had brought in during his reign seemed to have abandoned the Inca. The odds of defeat were too great, and the Chanca too fierce. However, these facts didn't seem to dampen the young Inca Yupanqui's spirits, as he told his fellow captains of his visions. Whether they believed what he said is another matter, yet they all prepared for the fight that was to come. The day of the battle dawned as the Chanca made their approach to Cusco. Pits had been dug by men, by women, and by children on the approach to the city. Rocks were laid in the bottom of these pits in the hopes that a few unlucky soldiers would meet their doom before the battle began. Inca Yupanqui beamed with confidence despite the odds against him and his men. Right before the Chanca began their charge into the city, that is when it happened. Out of nowhere, an army came marching in on the side of the Inca to meet the enemy. The battle was fierce and bloody as many fell on both sides. Women defended their homes viciously and fought as well as any man did. Inca Yupanqui quickly disposed of his foes with his weapon, alarming the enemy's soldiers as he approached. Though the Chanka were killing as many as the Inca, reinforcements for the Inca just kept coming. The Chanka were dismayed to see man after man running down the hill to meet them in battle. Some claimed that the very stones around them were coming to life and fighting against them. Dismayed by the way the battle was going, the call for retreat was put out. The Chanka turned to flee so fast that the Waka of Erskovilka was dropped by those carrying it and was captured. But a large number of Chanka were able to retreat and marched all the way back to Ichu Pampa. The Inca rejoiced and celebrated this enormous victory, especially since it seemed as though all hope was lost. And the elites and lords of the Inca rallied around their young captain, Inca Yupanqui, for the brilliant defense he had just led. As the spoils and prisoners of the battle were gathered up, many implored their young captain to tread over them. For many, this is what they had worked and hoped for. Some had even told Viracocha not to come to the defense of the city, hoping Inca Yupanqui would not only be victorious, but would claim the fringe, overthrowing Inca Urku in the process. However, if his fellow captains and elites had prayed that Inca Yupanqui would take the fringe, the prayers would not be answered here. To tread over the spoils of war was a triumph meant only for the emperor, and Inca Yupanqui was not the emperor. Thus, he refused the honor. The young captain ordered instead that some of the spoils be gathered up and brought to the emperor so he may tread upon them. But Inca Yupanqui didn't mean Inca Urco. No, he meant his father, Viracocha Inca. The messengers and spoils eventually reached Viracocha Inca's estate of Calca, overlooking the Urubamba Valley. 
one of them approached the former emperor and said, Inca Viracocha, thy son Inca Yupanqui, to who the son has given such a great victory, vanquishing the powerful Chanka, sends me to salute you, and says that, as a good and humble son, he wishes you to triumph over your victory and to tread upon these spoils of your enemies, conquered by your hands. The old emperor was doubtless surprised by this revelation. However, he refused the honor of treading upon the spoils. Viracocha Inca insisted instead that his son Inca Urco should be the one to triumph, as he was the one who succeeded to the throne. Disgusted by this response, the messengers were furious, shouting that they had not come for cowards to triumph. The messengers returned to Inca Yupanqui, telling the captain that Viracocha Inca did not want to receive the honor of the victory, but wanted to give recognition to Inca Urco instead. They then urged Inca Yupanqui to claim the glory for himself, as he was the one who had earned the victory. Inca Yupanqui, being ever the loyal son, still refused to accept the honors that he insisted were for his father. Thus, Inca Yupanqui decided to go see his father to try to convince the old emperor to return to power. Yet when he confronted his father, Inca Yupanqui would be disappointed. When the young captain begged his father to tread upon the spoils, Viracocha Inca still refused and insisted that Inca Urco tread upon them as he was the rightful Sapa Inca. Insulted that his brother, who had been a terrible ruler and a coward for fleeing the capital, was still the favorite of his father, Inca Yupanqui refused to allow Inca Urco the honor. Inca Yupanqui then stormed out of his father's estate and returned to Cusco. However, Inca Urco had been absent during the meeting between Viracocha Inca and Inca Yupanqui. The Sapa Inca and his father had come up with a plot to kill Inca Yupanqui once they had learned the captain had planned to come up to Calca to talk with Viracocha Inca. So Inca Urco and some loyalists sat in wait along the road ready to pounce on the Inca captain. Little did Inca Urco know that his plot had been overheard by those loyal to Inca Yupanqui. The young Inca had been made aware of the plot before he had even left for Calca. As Inca Urco sprang his trap, a counter trap was sprung. After a quick skirmish, Inca Urco and his loyalists lay dead in the road. When word of this reached Viracocha Inca, the old emperor, deeply grieved for the loss of his son. And yet, despite the plots against his life, Inca Yupanqui still invited Viracocha Inca to come out of his estate and into Cusco. But still, the old emperor refused the offer. No doubt, this back and forth would have continued had news not arrived from Ichupampa, Many of the remaining captains of the Chanka were regrouping and gearing up for yet another push to Cusco. Upon hearing this, Inca Yupanqui assembled his army, now numbering at nearly 100,000, and set out west towards Ichupampa. The site of Ichupampa lies only about five leagues west of Cusco. 
So the march was quick, and soon the army of a hundred thousand stood facing the Chanka army of two hundred thousand. The Chanka set forth an embassy to Inca Yupanqui, saying that the Inca were clearly outnumbered, and that they should surrender, or their blood would soon dye the weapons of the Chanka. Inca Yupanqui dismissed the boast and insisted that if the Chanka wanted to call themselves Lord and Inca, that they would have to fight for that honor. As the embassy arrived back, the Inca soon followed, and the battle commenced. Spears and lances tangled themselves as men with clubs and axes took swings at one another. Stones whizzed by the heads of soldiers, some finding their mark. It was a bloody affair. As the battle wore on for hours, Inca Yupanqui made his way towards Astohuarca, the Chanka captain, and with his hatchet, cut off the enemy's head. Tomei Huararca, the other Chanka captain, also had fallen by this point in the battle, and Inca Yupanqui quickly ordered their heads put on lances for all the Chanka to see. With the heads of their captains hoisted high in the air, the Chanka turned to flee. Inca followed in pursuit, killing as many as they could catch. The spoils of the battle were even more impressive than the first, and Inca Yupanqui ordered some be sent to Viracocha Inca once again to inform him of his victory. And so messengers once again arrived at the state of Calca and laid some of the spoils at the feet of Viracocha Inca. They informed the former emperor that Inca Yupanqui secured a second victory over the Chanka. Looking over the spoils laid before him, Viracocha couldn't help but be impressed with what his son had accomplished. However, he refused, yet again, to tread upon the spoils of the battle. This time, though, Viracocha Inca insisted that Inca Yupanqui receive the honors. The messengers were thrilled to hear this and quickly returned to their lord with the good news. Inca Yupanqui listened carefully to all that his messengers told him. Then he laughed at the news and told them that they should get the idea of him wearing the fringe out of their heads. Inca Yupanqui had too much respect for his father, it appears, to assume emperorship while Viracocha Inca was alive. The lords of Cusco were saddened by this news and met together in secret. There, they decided to invite Viracocha Inca to the city to see the good work his son was doing and to bestow the fringe upon Inca Yupanqui himself. Viracocha Inca finally accepted the invitation and came down from the Urubamba Valley to Cusco, the city he once ruled. The old emperor saw how much the people loved his son and the excellent monuments he had begun to build. In the presence of the Cusco elites, Viracocha Inca took the fringe off his own head and said, Truly you are the son of the sun, and I name you king and lord. I give you this name so that from now on, your people and the other nations that you may conquer will call you Pachacuti, which in English means Earthshaker. Well, this is where we will leave the narrative for now. In the next episode, we will actually be discussing the sources that I've used and will continue to use in this podcast. As a consequence, we'll dissect the benefits and pitfalls of certain sources and we'll cover the validity of these origin stories. 